0: church congregation Um, and before I read the Bible for us um, I was also asked to share um, one thing that allows me to sing during suffering Um, and the first thing that came to mind when I heard this series title of singing through suffering was something that a friend once told me in that um, it was if you see someone um, who just unknowingly sings around the house or sings in the shower or sings around the street that is a sure sign that they have gladness of heart or joy. Um, And I was thinking about something that allows me to have um, that joy and that gladness of heart that prompts us to sing. Um, And that for me is something that Paul repeatedly says in Philippians. Um, He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And now sometimes I look at that verse and I think, I don't know how to do that sometimes. Is he asking too much? Um, is he having higher expectations of us? Are there exceptions to this rule of always? But then I go into my room and I'm still before God. I pray or I put on worship music or I journal. And I think about what God has done for us in sending his son. That Jesus died for our sins so that we could have a relationship with a God who is loving, who is gracious, Um, who has mercy for us and lives with us every single day. Um, And I think of the hope that Jesus has brought us um, in bringing us this relationship and a hope that um, transcends the life that we are living now. Um, So I hope that in times of suffering and trials that you might be going through, you might be still before the Lord. Um, Rejoice in him always because um, he is worth it. And I hope this gives you a reason to sing. Um, But now we are going to go into God's Word and today we are reading Psalm 138 and Romans 8, 18 to 30. So if you'd like to turn to Psalm 138 now, um, we'll get started. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me; you greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly; though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. you stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, with your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. I'll just give you a moment to turn to Romans 8:18 8, to30. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through worldless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, Who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified.
1: Uh, Thanks so much, Lara. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matthew's. I especially focus on our traditional service at 8 o'clock on Sundays, uh, as well as the pastoral care right across uh, our, our congregations here. Welcome. It's great to have you. Hey, um, it's, it's been a miserable, miserable week for many of us here in Sydney. Uh, I'll remember, I think for some time, that moment last Saturday when our Premier had the unpleasant duty of announcing that we were going into lockdown again. Uh, Rhonda and I had some jobs to do on Saturday afternoon. I was out shopping for food, uh, Woolworths at Manly Vale, and there was a palpable mood of gloom right across the the, the shop there. And uh, I, I sensed that amongst parents and kids particularly, there was an unease Coming to terms with what the lockdown would mean for their, for their holiday plans. Uh, there's been a real week of anguish uh, that I've come across this week uh, for people cancelling travel plans, to be with family, uh, to do business with family, uh, which you can only do face-to-face. It's, it's been a difficult week in so many ways, not least for our political leaders, who quite visibly have struggled to work together through the challenges that we're facing as a nation, especially around the complexities uh, involved with the vaccine rollout. So it's been a miserable week in Sydney, not least in the weather that we had through the week, although the weekend's been lovely. Now we've had Psalm 138 on the preaching program for some time, and I found myself wondering, especially early in my preparation, whether this was the right psalm for today, especially because of the way that it begins. As Lara read for us, you you will have heard the exuberant opening to Psalm 138. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. So there's this wholehearted praise, and it's public, it's defiant. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will, and this is a humble thing, I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name. Now, that ebullience may not fit your mood right now. But I want to say, if you'll come with me and wrestle with the meaning of this psalm, that you'll be able to see there is good reason for praising and thanking God. Good reason for praising and thanking God wholeheartedly, defiantly, humbly, even in the midst of deeply troubling times. That'd be a great place to find yourself, wouldn't it? Able to rise above the way that you feel, without ignoring the way you feel, because that's real, rising above the circumstances you find yourself in, without trying to pretend they're not as troubling as they might be. But rising above those things and finding yourself in a place where, with your whole heart, you can praise and thank our great God. That'd be worth learning how to do that, wouldn't it? How that's possible. So let's have a look at at Psalm 138 together. One of the things you notice as you read through it is what it was that prompted David. And it was King David who wrote this 3,000 years ago what it was that prompted David to write this psalm. It's there in verse 3 when he says, when I called, you answered. So he's prayed and he's, he, he's, he understands that God has answered his prayer. Although as you read further through the psalm, you realise that the answer has not come in the form of a dramatic change in his circumstances. We see in verse 7, for instance, that he still walks in the midst of trouble. That there is a real threat to his life as he prays, preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. So there are enemies that David has and you read his story in 1 and 2 Samuel and there were plenty of enemies who would kill him if they could. So that's the nature of the trouble that he's in. He's prayed and God has answered his prayer but not by dramatically changing that. He still has enemies, they still want to kill him. He's prayed if we go back to verse 3, he's he got his answered, if we go back to verse 3 by greatly emboldening David. That is, he's given to David what he needs in order to face up to the very challenging situation he finds himself uh, in the midst of. You know, it, it's not always your circumstances that need changing. Often it's not, it's you that need changing. Or at least... You need God to give you the strength or the wisdom or the capacity to persevere that you need. That you need to persevere through the particular storm that you're living through at the moment. And in fact, sometimes God uses those circumstances and his answer to your prayer to teach you to trust him, even through the difficult times, even through the storm. So this psalm, in David's experience, came out of a time of trouble and recognising that God had answered his prayer and even though his troubles are not over, he praises God wholeheartedly, defiantly and humbly. This specific answer to prayer, this this specific experience of God's kindness reminds him in the midst of trouble what the God he worships is like. So in verse 1, he says, I'll praise you, Lord. Verse 2, he begins to explain what he praises him for. For your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Unfailing love. I want to highlight those two English words in particular. Two English words which are trying to do the work of just one word that was needed in the original language. We don't really have a word for love like this in the English language. But it's a beautiful word. It's one of the few words of Hebrew that I remember from my labors in learning Hebrew way back in in Bible college days. Chesed is that word which beautifully describes the completely undeserved love that God has for his people. It's one of the words that on a tumultuous day for him, Moses, way back before David, you read his story in in Exodus 34, on a tumultuous day, when towards the end of the day, he asks God to show him his glory. And God answered not by showing him anything, but by speaking. Moses didn't see the glory of God, but he heard these words. The Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed, in love, that kind of love, that unfailing love. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's the exact phrase that David quotes in Psalm 138. Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining hesed, love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion rebellion and sin. This is a magnificent characteristic of the God that we know, the God that loves us. In Moses' day, God did not let his people go, even though they had betrayed him. The incident that's described towards the end of Exodus is the incident of them bowing down to a golden calf instead of bowing down before the living and the true God who was the one who had rescued them out of Egypt. This, this unfailing love is a, a steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of Israel despite not just this incident but generation after generation being unfaithful to him. This love of God, this unfailing love, this hesed, is the commitment of the ferociously holy and righteous God who cannot leave sin unpunished to love his people with an everlasting, unfailing, steadfast love, which is, which is full of compassion and mercy and kindness. This is the God we know. This is the God we've got to know even better as we've been listening uh, to the prophet Ezekiel from the Old Testament. As we've watched God at work in Ezekiel's day, even in the exile. So here we are in Sydney, coming to the end of a, a miserable week in so many ways. A lockdown can be frustratingly dispiriting, can't it? But it cannot take away from us the steadfast, compassionate love of our God. His love and his faithfulness give us good reason to praise and thank him, even in the middle of a COVID lockdown. But David has more to say as we see a little bit further through verse two. I'll praise you, Lord, he says in verse one, for your love, your unfailing love and your faithfulness for You have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. It's a strange expression there, that something could surpass the fame of God. I hope as we focus on those those words there, solemn decree, that you see what could surpass what had been known of God up till that time. I've I've highlighted solemn decree there because I'm pretty sure that David is writing about a, a very specific announcement by God a very specific decree about what he's going to do in one of the most important uh, statements in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7 where where God makes a promise to David through the prophet Nathan a promise that one of David's descendants will be no one less than the, the son of God himself and that he will establish the kingdom of God forever. So, 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 and 12, the Lord declares, says Nathan, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. It's so significant in the baptism of Jesus, the words that people hear from heaven, as God the Father says of Jesus. This is my son, whom I love. He is that descendant of David. Back in David's day, he could not have grasped how significant that promise was to become or the cost that God would pay by sending Jesus. But David knew enough to know that such a promise, as it's revealed and as it becomes known, will only grow the fame of God. In the whole world. And certainly, as he as he penned this psalm, it gave him reason to praise and thank God, even in the midst of the mortal danger with which he lived. Now, as you read through the rest of this psalm, you see that David's David's praise and thanksgiving that he offers to God directly moves towards prayer. Firstly, prayer that his praise would be shared by people everywhere. And so he says in verse 4, May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. And there's that word decree again, this specific promise that God has made to David. Now imagine that the kings that he was particularly praying about would have been his enemies over the border in Philistia or over in Moab who opposed God's people and opposed God himself. This is the sort of prayer I think it would be good for us to pray today for world rulers who show no sign of knowing the true God and who show every sign of defying him. You might pray for someone you know in your office or in on the strata committee where you live, who pushes their weight around, praying that God, by a miraculous word, would soften their hearts so that they would come to understand the wonder of his love for all people, even for them. That they would know this steadfast love and faithfulness and learn to delight in the God whom they may be defying at the moment. So this really is a beautiful song in a time of suffering, a song for troubled times. Uh, right at the end of the psalm, David expresses his very strong confidence in God. Confident that God, who is highly exalted, sees a little one, sees a lowly one, sees someone who is suffering. His focus is on them even more than it might be on, on the rich and the famous, on the celebrity. He sees you, he sees me, wherever we are. It's a psalm that, that finishes with a great sense of confidence. From David's point of view that God will vindicate him as the one to whom he's made these marvellous promises. But, but, but a sense of confidence that we can share in Christ as we know God's promise to his people. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a, it, it is a song for troubled times. And I've become quite fascinated with its placement in, in the 150 psalms that we've got in the Bible. It's the first of a collection of Psalms that were written by David, but right near the end, in the middle of a whole lot of other Psalms, which which are born out of the experience of the people of Israel in exile, when they were in Babylon. In fact, Psalm 138 comes straight after one of the most miserable Psalms in the Bible, which is born out of Israel's experience in in, in exile. Um, if, I can, if I can put it somewhat colloquially, it's, it's a lament, which laments the way in which their captors taunt them. Saying, hey guys, why don't you sing us one of those songs of Zion? You know, about your beautiful temple, and your great kings, and your great God. And in the lament, the psalmist writes, I can't sing. I can't sing those songs. I've, I've hung up my harp. I can't sing when I'm so far away from from the land that God gave to us. So it, it is a lament and there are many psalms of lament. So it's actually okay to lament. If you're sad, it's okay to be sad. If you're in grief, it's okay to be in grief. And it's good to pour out your heart in lament, in sorrow, in grief to God. But it's equally good to move on as you're able, even as a deliberate thing that you do. And so Psalm 138 comes straight after that miserable lament, Psalm 137. And it teaches us how to deliberately turn our thoughts, our hearts to God. Psalm 138 is a psalm for a time of trouble. I find it inspiring to think that believers in the exile, as miserable as they may have been, deliberately took up David's words and took them up as their own. Even at a time when they were living in exile, even at a time when their temple was in ruins, their kings had been humiliated. They nevertheless took up David's words and deliberately lifted their hearts in defiant and humble praise to God. They were were trusting that despite their circumstances, God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. God is a God, an exalted God who sees his little ones. And the promises that God made to David still stand and would come to pass, even though there was so little evidence of it in the world around them. They defiantly believe, despite what the mockers proclaim, that God is worthy of the praise of every person everywhere. I want to learn to be like believers who've used these words in that way in the past, especially Old Testament believers, especially those who, who waited centuries for these promises to be fulfilled, who died not having seen them being fulfilled. And... I and you have so much more reason to take up these words and and sing God's praises confidently, exultantly in the midst of trouble because we know that in history God fulfilled his promise and he is fulfilling those promises that he made to David. He has sent a descendant of God, his own son, who now rules all things, and 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 he presently is building a beautiful kingdom of love and grace and truth, which one day will be a new creation. I'm going to turn, as I as I begin to wrap up, to Romans eight. It's such a rich passage. There's just a few things I want to highlight there, and partly I'm sharing with you an experience that I had earlier this year. I was reading through the book of Romans across. Uh, the Christmas and New Year in December and January, it was a great experience actually and uh, I woke up one morning, realizing uh, that I, I developed a pattern over 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 a while of groaning as I got out of bed. And it was because of my stiff back and um, and part of the groaning was because it was awkward to get out of bed. Part of the groaning was it was still going on now don 't worry about me i 'm fine now. Thank you. Um, God for uh, for physios, uh, who've been such a great help to me. But three times in Romans 8, groaning is mentioned. Not that of a stiff back, but just listen for two of them as I read for you. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See that groan I had each morning, what was a little sign that something was not quite right with my body. Romans 8 says the whole world is groaning because something's not quite right with our world. In fact, something is terribly wrong with our world. The people of the world, you read this in the early chapters of Romans, the people of the world that God has lovingly created have turned our backs on God and we are living and we are dying with the consequences. But within this groaning world where the whole creation is groaning, there are people like us who've turned to Christ, we know Christ, we've learned as the spirit has come to us that we are truly the children of god we we learn that it's okay it's our privilege to call god our father our heavenly father so although we might look we might not look any different to anyone else even though we may suffer just as much or more than those who don't know god We truly are the children of God. So so we groan with a particular kind of groaning inwardly. A, A bit like the groaning of a woman in childbirth though, which has hope on the other side of the groaning. We groan, as Paul says, with the eager expectation of the revelation of who we truly are. We're looking forward to being freed from our bondage to, ca- to decay, which is the experience of everyone in this world, to being released to a place where there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain, no more back pain. There'll be no more risk of a widespread deadly viral infection. There'll be no more shutdowns. There'll be no more anxiety and, and frustration and disappointment or depression or, or, or strained or broken or, or distanced relationships. See, we we groan in this life, but with the eager expectation of much, much better days ahead, all the way into eternity, stretching out before us. So friends, 3,000 years ago, David realised that in the midst of trouble, God had answered his prayer. God had given him what he needed to boldly face the particular challenge that was in front of him. And so his heart welled up in praise and thanksgiving in this beautiful psalm that we've been thinking about this morning. And down through history, people of faith have taken hold of the words of this psalm and though they saw little evidence of God's goodness in their immediate circumstances, they defiantly sang or recited these words because they knew, like we do, the everlasting love and faithfulness of God. We have much more reason to praise and thank God than many have in history. Now that God has sent David's, great David's, greater son, we know that into eternity we will join with our Lord in the new creation where we'll sing his praises evermore, so gladly. I'm going to invite you now, as, as I wrap up, to join me in saying the words of Psalm 138 this great song for a time of trouble. Please join me. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree That it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands.